Okay, well, officially, good morning again this morning. How are you all doing today? You okay? Yeah, this is like we're in fall season now, right? Anyone wake up and go, it's a little chilly out, right? Yeah, don't raise your hand, but if you're still using your air conditioner today, um, why? You know, <laughs> the windows could be up. I mean, it was a beautiful day. I came in this morning and I had nice chilly weather. I would like a car with a, with, a, with a steering wheel heater. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody have one of those? We rented a car and I'm like, that's like, like necessary, I'm kidding. It's not necessary. It's a nice to have. Some of you are like, it is necessary. Don't judge me. I, I think it was, it's a really cool thing. We rented a car a couple of weeks ago and I hit the button by accident and I was like, what, what, what is this? I'm like, Ooh, this feels nice. You know, like my hands really were enjoying it. Um, so anyway, totally unrelated to anything. I'm just saying I got up this morning and I went, you know, that that's kind of a, a neat thing to have in 2021. Um, but anyway, totally unrelated. If you have your Bibles, we do turn to John chapter four this morning, John chapter four. Uh, this is, um, my second and Leslie's second week back after being away on a sabbatical. Um, and I got up this morning and I couldn't remember how many weeks I was back at this point. Um, someone asked me, you know, like, how was your trip? And I said, what trip? Like, <laughs> sometimes it goes so quickly, doesn't it? I mean, life just goes so quickly sometimes. But it is great to be back and it has been great to start to reconnect and, and just hear what's been going on in the lives of people. One thing I can say with confidence, and I'm really encouraged, I said this last week and I'll say it again, is we have seen with our eyes and heard with our ears while we're away, how the church of Jesus Christ connected with bridge continues to be the church of Jesus Christ. I love the fact that people aren't sitting on their hands waiting for pastor Paul to say, they should do this or we should do that because I'm not going to be here one day. That's the truth of the matter. Everyone knows that, you know, every person that was born, if the Lord doesn't come back in our timeline, we all die. I'm not going to be here one day. And that doesn't mean I'm here till I'm dead. It just means one day I will no longer be in this role. And the worst thing that could ever happen to a church is that when a lead pastor moves on, the church just waits for the next guy to show up. The church of Jesus Christ is called to be the church. And I was so thrilled. And we've talked about this, how we've seen many situations over the course of the last number of months while we were gone where people just rolled their sleeves up and were the church. So thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for showing community to those that needed to have community. Listen, we live in a world right now, I was in the supermarket yesterday and I was thinking about this. We don't have a problem with options in our world, right? In fact, I think the problem we have many times in this world is we have too many options. I was walking down the ice cream aisle yesterday, no surprise, true story. We weren't looking for ice cream, but I started noticing as I was walking so many different brands, so many different varieties, so many different sizes, so many different everything. And if you have two choices in life, you pick A or B, you take it, you move on, right? If you have 50 choices, it takes longer and it's easy for you to get dissatisfied with one and move to the next thing. Can I tell you, Christianity is kind of like that in the American church. In the church in Ephesus, you know how many churches there were in the book of Ephesus? A church. The church of Philippi, there was a church. Today, there's over 75 churches in the North Penn region. And these are communities of people. But can I tell you, it's so much easier when there's varieties and choices to say, you know what? I think I'm just going to try a different flavor. I'm going to try a different flavor. And this has nothing to do with people coming or going to bridge. So please don't misunderstand. What I'm saying is in our absence, seeing a community function as a community is a beautiful thing. So thank you for being a part of that. Because if there's 75 Christian churches in this general area, there should be 75 communities functioning as a community. Amen? You know what I'm saying? That's the way it's supposed to look. Now, we're all part of the larger body, but we are supposed to be functioning as the larger church in our smaller churches. So thank you for being a part of that. I can't specify or communicate how encouraged I am to know that others have each other's backs. So... On that note, um, I really didn't want to write what I'm about to read to you today, okay? And my wife has no idea what I'm going to say because I didn't tell her. Um, but it has nothing to do with you, dear. You're fine, okay? You're, you're fine. It has nothing to do with you, okay? But I need to have a little disclosure with you today. And my hope in actually disclosing this to you uh, is that um, you hear my heart on this uh, and maybe some of what I'm about to tell you is going to identify with you, um, Before we get into John chapter 4, I think it's important for me to talk about this. So uh, after thinking about this and praying about this, I want to share something to you that um, I've known before we were in sabbatical, but it definitely came more to light while I was away. And it's this. um, I am really angry. I am really angry. 
Um, I'm not angry at any of you. I'm not angry in this moment. There is an underlying anger that I have noticed over a longer period of time that I have had. And our climate over the last many months, over a year, has been contributing to this. Um, Our world has been feeding off of hate, division, arrogance, and its result has been an atmosphere in and outside of the church where the love of many people have begun to grow cold. You hear what I'm saying? You guys notice this? I am angry about this. And, and I'm not immune to this. I have not just experienced it by observing. I have personally been a victim of this. Not just by others, but by me being that way to other people. I'm tired of it. Um, every pastor I have spoken with over the last many months has shared the kind of tensions I want to talk to you about this morning. To be in the world, but to not be of the world. How do leaders in this culture, in the Christian church, how do we communicate and teach with authenticity? How do we encourage people to continue to walk out and navigate this mess that we are walking in? And our world is a hot mess right now. It is a mess. How do we do this when we're living in this challenge to still be true followers of Christ and juggle all this stuff that's happening around us? I can tell you it's been exhausting. And I'm telling you that, and I'm sure a lot of you are hearing that and nodding your head saying, yeah, it really has been exhausting. Are you tired this morning of it? You know, no show of hands. I'm just wondering. I believe many people hearing this can relate to me this morning when I'm saying this. It's been exhausting. And it's one of the reasons why a lot of the pastors I've talked to over the last 18 months at some point have all contemplated leaving their roles and resigning. Every single one of them I've talked to. And it doesn't matter if they're in the East Coast, in the middle of the country, in another country, or on the other side of the country with people we bumped into while we were away. Everybody has felt this tension at different times. And people are tired. People are tired and they're frustrated. Now, I know the struggle is not just with pastoral leaders. That is... An ignorant statement if I would believe that, and I don't. Um, Everyone, I believe, in this room has felt this. Um, If you haven't experienced other people experiencing this, I would encourage you, go on an airplane and watch the flight attendants. God bless those people. They have a very hard job. There are videos of people getting duct taped to their seats because of the mess that's going on. Anyone see this stuff? They're duct taping people. And I'm I'm looking at that, I'm like, you duct tape them. They need a spanking, and you can't spank them, so duct tape them because they're out of control. These people have jobs to do, and it's getting harder, and it's harder, and it's harder. Hotel personnel, God bless hotel personnel. TSA security, I'll tell you a story someday when I feel more comfortable to reveal just how much of a sinner I am. But TSA security, God bless these people. They have hard jobs right now. If you're in the public school system right now, You need the strength of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to walk through what you're going through right now. If you're a teacher, if you're a principal, if you're a parent just trying to navigate this mess with your kids or your grandkids, you know what I'm talking about? This is a very, very difficult season that we're in right now. I really believe no one is exempt, and it's making me really upset and really angry. Last week I spoke about how we need to look through our eyes that are spiritual. We have to look through eyes that are spiritual, not physical. Jesus said, In John chapter 6, when he talked about the delineation, he said, the spirit gives what? Life, right? And the flesh counts for, you remember? Nothing. What was he challenging us in that scripture as we read through the passage? Stop looking at the world through physical eyes and begin looking at the world through spiritual eyes because God is always among us. God is always working around us and there is truth in the midst of confusion. But this is a daily struggle for me, and there's always something new to deal with. World events. You know what I'd love to do just one day is just open up any news broadcast and just see the first five things are positive. I'll just see the first thing that's positive. Nothing's ever positive. What do they say? If it bleeds, it what? Leads. If it bleeds, it leads. If it's sensational, negative, danger, all this stuff that's going on over and over again. World events, new policies. There's always threats of war that we hear about. People, you know, they're going to blow up this. They're going to do that. They're going to fight against this. People are endlessly gaslighting other people in our culture through social media and one-on-one. And how a quarter-inch piece of glass turns you into a monster with the person driving next to you, I'll never understand. How does a quarter-inch piece of glass separating you and the car next to you 
turn you into this anonymous monster that can talk to someone and act as someone that you would never do to their face. You know what I'm talking about? Ever have that happen? Happens to me sometimes, even when I'm trying to drive responsibly. It's an endless supply of issues. Maybe you've said this, but I've said this many times to my wife. I'm done. I'm done. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm done. Now, I don't know what that means. You know, I think in the moment, it's just like, I can't take it anymore. You remember like Popeye, the sailor man? That's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. You know what I'm talking about? I'm dating myself with these illustrations that are old when I was a kid, but I'm done. And I don't really know what that means, but I bet many people here felt the same way. I can tell you one thing that it looked like for me while we were away on our sabbatical. And I told you, I'm being honest with my disclosure here, but spending a few weeks in the middle of nowhere, United States, it gave me some time to daydream. It gave me some time to wonder what it would be like to buy some land in the middle of nowhere America in a state that believes in preserving and upholding our constitutional freedoms and letting the haters and the tyrannical leaders fight each other to extinction. That's what I wondered what it would be like. Can I just get out of here? Can I just go to the middle of the country? I mean, we drove through some places for 120 miles with no cell service, God help me, no gas stations. And you know what that means? No bathrooms. 120 miles, you know? Now you might say, well, you're a guy, you can do that. Hey, when you're almost 50, it matters. 120, well, you can go on the side of the road. Yeah, I'm not primitive. Like I want to go to a real bathroom, okay? (laughs) Do you ever just want to run away? Do you just want to unplug from it sometimes? I mean, I've talked to so many people that said, I just want to run. And you know what? Sometimes people do that. They're just like, I'm done. People have left states in our country. You know, I hear the story of like when we were in the Northwest, like the areas of the places that we went to are angry that there are people from other states in that area of the country coming to their state. They're like, get away from me. We don't want you in here because they're coming into the state and telling them all how they need to live. And they're like, we don't want you in our state. Go back to your crazy state. And this is what's happening all around our country. People are looking to fight or to flee, or in many cases, people just freeze and they don't know what to do. I was in that flee mentality to say, you know, it's nice to daydream a little bit and just wonder what it would be like to live in the middle of nowhere. And if you're listening to me this morning and you have thought that, then we're kindred spirits for a moment. And if you've never felt that way, teach me. Teach me your secret, because I can tell you there have been many moments over the last many months where I've just said, God, where are we going with this? And as the follower of Christ in the Christian church, how are we supposed to navigate this absolute mess? Wouldn't it be easier just to kind of disappear? Wouldn't it be easier to just, you know, build a van, equip it, and just drive around the country and just kind of like be a nomad and just do whatever I want to do? Doesn't that sound appealing somehow a little bit? And maybe your van is like a big RV, but I mean, wouldn't it kind of sound a little appealing? Can I tell you this? This is really tempting for me. And I don't like camping and I don't like RVing and I never will. Um, But this is so important. It's not biblical. As a follower of Jesus Christ, my daydream is not biblical. In fact, I'll go as far as saying that's not the church Jesus died for. Christians that want to jump on board and go pursue whatever they want to do and run away from the stuff that's around them and retreat and fight, and instead of fight, retreat and do and isolate themselves from the things. That is not the church that Jesus Christ died for. That is not the church of Jesus Christ, period. So if you feel that way, I'm with you. And I was sharing that with you this morning because I know people feel that way and I have felt that way, but I've been reminded over the last number of months, it's okay to feel a specific way as long as you know what truth really is. Because truth should determine my steps, not sometimes my emotion, if that makes sense. We need emotion, don't get me wrong, but truth has to trump emotion. It always has to. If we lead by our emotions, I am going to be in big, big trouble. Because in our family, my wife is like strong and steady, man. She's cruising at 35,000 feet and she'll go and there'll be a little bump here or there, but she's going. And me, I can't figure out if I'm ascending or descending sometimes. I can't tell if I'm taking off or landing, you know? So that's, that's kind of the way that I function more. And we need to know the truth has to trump our emotions. So how are we supposed to live? How are you supposed to live in the midst of all this? How am I supposed to live in the midst of all of this? Well, 2,000 years ago, 
Jesus answered that question in John chapter 4. And he answered the question. John recorded it in chapter 4. And this is what he said of how we're supposed to live. Today's message is called Worshiping in Spirit and in Truth. Look at John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. We're going to talk about it. Yet a time is coming, Jesus said, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. How are we supposed to live in the midst of our current status and our current climate? In spirit and in truth. We are supposed to be, as the church of Jesus Christ, worshipers of God in the spirit and worshipers of God in the truth. What I love about this message and what he's teaching is it's not, it's not dependent on our environment, and it doesn't only apply to those he was talking to. It's a timeless truth that applies to the church of Jesus Christ from the very beginning to eternity until he returns. We worship in spirit and we worship in truth. Now, what does that mean? You maybe have heard that phrase many times. Maybe this is the first time or it may be the thousandth time you've heard this. What does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? I want to explain that to you briefly this morning. And I want to ask that the Holy Spirit would use this time to speak clearly to your heart, to say, how do we navigate this? And God, what are you asking me to do differently or how to live differently as a result of this? So let me give you a little bit of context of John 4, and we're going to read through most of this passage, um, and I'm going to comment on it just briefly. John 4, there's a scenario, and let me talk to you about what's going on. Israel was a nation, and there were areas of Israel. There was Judea, which is the southern area of Israel, and then there was an area kind of in the middle of Israel called Samaria, okay? And Judea and Samaria were part of a divided world during that time. Okay, and what I mean by that is the Judeans or the Jews were considered the purest Israelis. They were pure. They knew God. They knew Yahweh. They had the the Pentateuch. They had the first five books of Moses. They had the prophets. They were the ones that trusted in God. Samaria was a region of Israel that was inhabited by those who knew God and didn't know God. And they kind of mixed together during the actual um, exile that happened many years before. So when they came back, there was this region that there were people that some of them were Jewish, but they married non-Jewish people. And they were spiritual mutts, if you want to put it that way. I know we don't have mutts today. Every dog has a special name. But they were mutts, okay? They weren't whole, pure Jews. They were a mixture. And Jewish people and Samaritans did not get along. Jewish people thought they were dirty, they were unclean, and they wouldn't associate with them. Often, if you look at the map where it was, Judea was in the southern region, Galilee was up north, Samaria was in the middle. Jewish people in their trip or their travel from Jerusalem to Galilee and back many times would take the long way around just to avoid going through Samaria. They didn't want to associate, you know. It's, it's like pick your worst city around here. I'm not going to do this because someone sent me hate mail if I pick it by name. But if there's an area that you want to avoid, it might take you five minutes to go through there or it might take you 30 to go all the way around. They avoided it because they didn't want to have conflict. So it's important for you to know, for me to understand that there was a separation between these two people. There were also two specific places that they worshiped God. The Jewish people in Judea worshiped in a city called, some of you know, Jerusalem. There was a temple, and that's where they worshiped God. Samaria had their own mountain, and it was called Mount Gerasim, and they had a temple, and they worshiped God there too. So there's two Jewish groups of people, one's fully Jew, the other is a kind of mixture of Jew and non-Jew, and they're worshiping in this temple in Mount Gerasim. They didn't worship together. They weren't allowed to worship together. The northern people in Samaria worshiped in their own. The Jewish people worshiped in Jerusalem. And that's the way it was going to stay. So that's the context of, what we're happening, of what's happening. I want to start in verse 1 and walk through this with you, and then I'll get to what it means about worshiping in spirit and truth. So look at verse 1 with me. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Okay, so he's traveling. Now he had to go through Samaria. Wink, wink. <laughs> so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat by the well. It was about noon. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, 
you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Stop just for a second there. If you were here last week and you heard me talk about this, remember what I was saying last week, that men, women, come to Jesus asking physical questions and Jesus responds answering with what? Spiritual answers. That's what he does. We're talking and we're looking in the physical and Jesus points to the spiritual and he starts doing the same thing with this woman. Her response in verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from himself? And also... Uh, his sons and his livestock? What is she saying there? She's like, you're talking about this living water. You don't even have a bucket. How do you do that? Because what is she seeing? She's seeing only in the, sp- in the physical, and Jesus is talking about the spiritual. Jesus responds in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She still doesn't get it. What eyes are we looking at? Verse 16, I love this. Jesus changes the subject. He says, well, go call your husband and come back. Verse 17, she says, I have no husband, she replied. So he says to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And look what she says in verse 19. This is where it turns the corner and it gets to our point for today's message. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Stop here. See what's going on? Immediately when she realizes that this isn't just a guy, but this is a prophet, she immediately stops and says, there is this burning question that I need to know the answer to because it's so important. You see, whether you were Jew or whether you were Samaritan, the worship of God mattered. Their lives were supposed to be centered around God and to worship God. And as soon as she realized she was speaking to a prophet, she says, I have a question for you. I need to know right away. Where are we supposed to worship? We have our own location here, our own mountain. But the Jews, you Jews say, unless you're in Jerusalem, you're not worshiping God. What is the right answer? And look what Jesus says in verse 21. He says, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in what? The Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And then he wraps it up in verse 25, and he says, the woman says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? It's a beautiful story. A woman who thinks that this prophet can give her an answer on where to worship and comes to the conclusion in listening to him that she's talking with the very Messiah that they're waiting for. Beautiful story. But we're going to boil this down because Jesus uses the encounter to teach this woman a very important truth about genuine worship, and it's a truth that we need to understand today in 2021. And the truth is simply this. We need to let our worship or let your worship be a lifestyle that's not dependent on your location. That's the whole point of what this this message is about. Let your worship be a lifestyle that's not dependent on your location. The Jews felt worship was in Jerusalem. The Samaritans felt like they needed to worship in Mount Gerasim. And she's saying, where is the right place that we can adequately worship God? And Jesus begins to introduce her to a completely new concept, which when we boil it down is that worship is never going to be anymore about where you are. It's not about your location. It's about your lifestyle. You can worship God anywhere, and he begins to explain why. So I'm going to give you a real quick lesson of maybe how this comes together. I hope you can follow me. I did the best that I could to pull it together, and let me try to explain it. Um, We are three-part beings, okay? So we have three-part beings, okay? There's the body, 
there's the soul and there's a spirit. Some of you have heard this before, okay? Our body, what is our body? This is our body, right? The thing you can see, the thing you can touch, the thing you can take care of or not take care of. This is our physical body. Then there is the soul, and our souls are our emotions, our mind, our thoughts. This is what, what's up here, our souls, how we reason, how we think, how we think, how we, how we process. That's our soul. And then there's the spirit part of man, which is our connection and the way we connect with God, which is faith, hope, prayer. Those are the three different parts that God intended mankind to have, body, soul, and spirit. Now, if we back up and go all the way to creation, you're going to see in Genesis, in creation, we're not going there this morning, but when God breathed life into man, what did he do? He took the dirt from the ground and he formed a what? A body, right? right? Then he breathed what? Life into them, spirit, okay? He breathed life into them, spirit, and then he gave us the ability to reason, and to understand, and that's our soul. All three of them were alive and well at the point of creation. Okay, And then God made a statement in Genesis. Again, we won't go there in 2.17, but he makes a statement about the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he says, eat from any tree you want, but not the one of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of that tree, he says, you will surely what? Die. And as many of us know the story, Adam and Eve couldn't keep their hands off the fruit. And they were tempted, and they ate of the fruit. And at the moment that they ate of the fruit, their eyes were open. They recognized that they were without clothes. They were naked. They ran, and they hid from God. What happened in that moment? God plays the whole thing out, and he shows them. As a result of their sin, remember, body, soul, and spirit. As a result of their sin, their bodies immediately began to what? Die. Because he said, from the dust of the earth you came, and what's going to happen now? You're going to die. Your physical bodies that were intended to live forever are now going to die. That's the first thing that happened. The second thing is that their minds were now polluted by the sinful world around them. Today we call that the sinful nature. Okay, We are born into a sinful nature. We understand this. Children don't need to be taught how to be selfish. We are born into a sinful nature. Our thoughts are not completely pure. Our minds have been polluted because of the sin that are around us. That's the soul part that's been contaminated. And our spirit The saddest part of the whole thing, in that moment, our spirits died. Dead. God separated Adam and Eve from himself, from the garden. The spirit died. The connection between God and man was what? Gone. It was over. God still... God could still interact, but there was no intimate relationship. The spirit we see in scripture, and there's scriptures that talk about this all throughout, that the spirit died. We see this in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, because in Ezekiel, there's a prophecy that Ezekiel gives in Ezekiel 36, 26, that says, I am going to put a what? New spirit in you. When Jesus talks to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, unless a man be what? Born again, he won't inherit the kingdom of God. And he's like, I'm not talking about a physical birth. He's talking about a what? Spiritual birth. So our physical bodies died, our souls are polluted and contaminated, and our spirits were dead. That's what happened as a result of this. And Jesus takes all this stuff and he says, true worshipers, looking at the picture, true worshipers worship God in spirit and they worship God in truth. They worship God in spirit and they worship God in truth. So what does that really mean? It means the truth of God is the knowledge of God, the understanding of our minds, the soul, if you will. True worshipers will do that. The knowledge of God and knowing God. True worshipers will worship God in spirit. That's the power of God. So if we are going to become true worshipers of God, we have to worship him in the way we know him and in the way we serve him. That's really what it's boiling it down to. It's not two separate things because truth and spirit are one and the same. Jesus said in John 14, 16, he says, what? I am the way, I am the what? Truth and I am the life. Worshiping God in truth means that we worship him in the knowledge and the understanding of who God is. Knowing Christ, being in relationship with Christ. Worshiping God in spirit. Well, when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming as he leaves, he says, it's good for me to go because the Heavenly Father will then send a counselor and he will be called the spirit of what? Truth. So it's not about a place. It's about letting our thoughts, letting our mind be renewed, and about our actions in our life, become active only for Christ and him alone. What does truth really look like? Well, the word truth that he uses when he says worship in spirit and truth, truth actually means to conform to 
or that the actual thing says it implies a dependability. So if we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth, our thoughts and our minds and our beliefs have to not just know about God, but we have to become dependent on God. And here's the difference. Just knowing about Jesus doesn't make you a worshiper of Jesus. Do you understand? Satan knows about Jesus. Jesus cast the demon out of a person in the Gospels, and the demon said, I know who you are, the Holy One of who? God. Just because you know who he is doesn't mean that you're a worshiper. No, it means that there is a movement. There is a conformity. There's a dependability. And what that means is that our minds, which are polluted, have to be transformed. That if I'm going to worship God with, my, with truth, I need to let my physical polluted mind be transformed so that I'm no longer thinking about things in this world through the world's definition of truth, but through God's definition of truth. Does that make sense this morning? Are you with me? I hope that makes sense. It's so important for us to understand because worshiping God in spirit and truth, people think sometimes, well, it just means, you know, read the Bible and, you know, um, have, have the Holy Spirit in your life. No, you can read the Bible and not actually not, and let it, not, not let it transform your life. You can read the word of God and not let it transform the way that you think. You know who did that in the Gospels? The Pharisees. They knew God's word and Jesus says, how do you know the word and you don't even know me? You're blind to who truth is and you know the scriptures, you've memorized them. The word itself doesn't change you. It's letting the word penetrate and change your thinking. That's what actually brings the transformation. So when Jesus says genuine worship is in spirit and truth, he's talking about having the power of God in spirit and the word of God in truth. We can't have one without the other. Remember, it's about a lifestyle. It's not about a location. He's telling you every part of your life, every part of your life is dependent on what's happening in here. Worship of God is not dependent on a location. It's dependent on a lifestyle. And why are we not talking about the body? I'll tell you why. Because the body serves the soul. The body serves the spirit. When the soul, when our minds are transformed, our body follows. Hear what I'm saying? When our minds are transformed, our body follows. I'll give you an example. If you don't believe that exercising a few times a week has any bearing on your physical health, you're never going to exercise, right? If you don't believe that, you're never going to exercise. So what are your arms and your legs going to do? They're going to sit idle, right? If you believe in your mind that the greatest deal in the world you can get on something that you love is only a mile down the road and you hear about it, it's only a mile down the road and you can go to that and get the best deal that you've ever had in your life, you believe that in your mind, what does your body do? It gets up and you go and you buy it and you do that. The body is completely in service to the mind and the thoughts. What we believe in our mind, what we think in our mind determines what we do with our lives. So when, when Jesus is saying, worship God with, your, with truth, with your soul, with your mind, what is he saying? He's not saying just think better thoughts. He's saying, no, let your mind be transformed by not knowing about Jesus, but really knowing Jesus. And what that's going to do, it's going to challenge you to distinguish between truth and lie. You see, when we believe lies about God, it affects our bodies. When we believe lies about God, it affects our spirit. The spirit of God lives in all who believe. I understand that. We see that in scripture. When you become a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. At which point you choose to ask what you're going to feed. Will you feed the spirit of God to take over every area of your life? Or will you feed your flesh? Will you feed the worldly things in you to continue to take precedent in your life? And when we believe a lie about God, we're letting our mind tell us what truth is instead of letting God tell us what truth is. You see, we diminish the Spirit's ability to work in our lives when we believe a lie. When we instruct our body to disengage with God's plans, it's because sometimes we don't believe God is there. Have you ever heard someone say, I don't believe God cares about me. I don't believe God 
is interested in what's going on in my life. God must be mad at me because of this. I just had a conversation with someone recently about a difficult situation their family's going through, and they're walking through something with their family, and their family and their children are asking questions. Is God mad at us because of what's happening right now? And those parents have an opportunity. They have an opportunity to speak truth or to confirm a lie. Because if people believe God is mad at them for walking through something, instead of just seeing what he can do in the midst of it, it will affect how they live. If I believe God is genuinely disinterested in being in relationship with me, why would I care to read his word? If I believe God is not a powerful God that can do everything he says he does in his world, in his word, why would I submit my body to training and teaching? Why would I submit myself to these things? You see, it's so important for us to understand that. We instruct our body to disengage from God's plans so we'll no longer read his word or be in relationship with people. We'll distance ourselves from the community of fellowship. We just stop because there's really no need for that. We're thinking with a human mindset, not a spiritual mindset. And when we're unable to trust God, the results are physical anxiety, fear, hopelessness. And these are the things that kind of evolve. So, um, We need to walk in a spirit of truth where we know who God is, we walk with him, and we see what he says is true. There's a pastor in the Ukraine many years ago. He planted a church, and he had a handful of people that began coming to him, and they were drug addicts and abusers and homeless people, and God used his his ministry to not just transform those people, but now that church is, is a church of thousands of people, and his name is Sunday Adelijah, and he said this about knowing God. He said, as knowing God becomes more important to you, you will stop thinking about discouragements and persecutions and you will stop worrying altogether. And I read that quote and I just went, Lord, help me. I get the first part, but you will stop worrying altogether. And what is he saying? The closer you get in intimate relationship with Jesus, the more your mind gets transformed. And as your mind is transformed, you see the character of Christ. You know what happens when you see the character of Christ? You take on his personality. You take on his power, his love. You learn to live and to love others the way Jesus loved others. Offense becomes less of an issue to people when we know Jesus more. Do you hear what I'm saying? If people walk around offended all the time, can I tell you, there's no love of Christ going on in those that walk around offended all the time. There's not. We live in a world of offense. Like You can be offended about anything today. Anything. Well, I'm offended. I just used the left lane instead of the right lane. Like, I'm, I'm offended. I'm offended that you didn't do this. Or you didn't, fill in the blank. I don't want to get into specifics because people get lost in the specifics and then they just think about that one thing. Do we not live in a world of offense right now? Of course we do. You have to walk around on tippy toes. And we're not saying we shouldn't be considerate of others. I'm saying as Christians, and I'm just speaking specifically to followers of Christ, if we walk around offended all the time, and we have good reason to be offended because there's a lot of bozos in this world right now. And there's a lot of people saying a lot of dumb stuff. And the church is being attacked by people and they're being mocked. The church of Jesus Christ is being mocked by a lot of people right now. Oh, you silly Christian, just stupid Christians. Or if I can be real honest about it, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of well-meaning Christians that have now associated Christianity with a political party. <laughs> so messed up. Let me tell you what. If you think Christianity is Republican or Democrat, you need to go back and read your Bible. I'm not saying there aren't things in either one of them that we go, uh, this is more godly than this. I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, what is truth? You know, how could, I, how could I possibly support some of the initiatives on either side of the party? Don't ever tell me that, that I have a problem if I'm not willing to vote for somebody that's willing to murder unborn children. Don't tell me that. I'm not going to do it. I just won't. I have a strong conviction about that. You're going to murder a baby? Forget it. You think it's okay to do that? Forget it. You're going to call yourself a Christian and do that? Not going there. I'm not going to do it. That's my conviction. But you know what? I can go to the other side of the realm and I can look at some of the things that happened with the other party as well and go, dude, your behavior doesn't look anything like Jesus. And I'm not getting behind you and waving my flag on that one either because if I do that or I do that, we are aligning ourselves with the world and we're not aligning ourselves with God's truth. So what are we supposed to do as the church today? 
Stand strong in our convictions, that's great. You know what? If we divide out our church right down the middle today, and it actually is literally kind of divided right down the middle, but if we did that and we looked at percentages of where people fall in that spectrum right now, here's two things that I know. I know a lot of people over the course of the last 24 months that wrestled with what to do during our political climate season. They wrestled with it. I mean, they really struggled with it. There are people that probably drank the Kool-Aid and listened to whatever the news said. I don't think, whatever. But there are people that wrestled with that. What I would say to any of the people at the end of it is, if the relationships between believers are dependent on what you did during a political election, you've got to refocus your mind. Because I'm a follower of Jesus before I'm anything political. You should be a follower of Jesus before you're anything political. I need to be, and, and again, like, I hate having these conversations because people will walk away and go, so you're saying I should have voted this, or you're saying, no, I don't care about that. You're missing my point. The point is we travail, we struggle. People are looking at this stuff and go, you know what? There is a line that people are going to be convicted with, but if your offense causes you to lose relationship with others that are trying to pursue Christ in the midst of it, we are not walking in truth. We don't know Jesus because the greatest offense that ever could have been given to anyone Because last I heard, no one in this room was hanging on a cross. Yet he was beaten and wounded and abused for each one of us. And Peter says, you know what Jesus did in the midst of that? He took it. And he never defended himself. He entrusted himself into God, who is the just judge. And when he hung on that cross, just talking to someone the other day about this and go, how do we understand this? People were mocking him while he died. You hear me? They made fun of him. Oh, you think you're the son of God. Ha ha. Pull yourself off the cross if you think you're the son of God. He is losing his life. And he could have looked at all of them and said, yeah, you're a bunch of blanks. He could have said that. I'm glad he didn't. What did he say? He looked at the father and he said, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Do you think it's possible in this climate right now, even as Christians, that we can be walking half blind? You bet. Yeah, you bet. Do you think people that don't know Jesus are walking around blind? Yes, they are completely blind. And do you know why? Because their spirit, remember, is what? Dead. They can't know the things of God if they don't have a relationship with Christ. They're walking around dead. So if we walk through this life offended about everything that's happening around us and upset with God for all these things or people, we are not walking in the love of Christ and walking in truth. We're walking in the world's truth. And I think it's important for us to grab a hold of that and remember we need the spirit of truth. We need um, to walk in as worshipers in truth. But he also says we're supposed to walk in the spirit. And the spirit is not just a spirit of truth, but he's a spirit of power. And the word spirit he uses here, pneuma, which many of you have probably heard before, the Greek word on it, what he's talking about is the animating presence, the action that comes from being someone who walks in the spirit. There are pockets and groups of people that are in the Christian church today that will hear me talk about worshiping in truth. And they'll say, yes, that's why we train. That's why we go to seminary. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we read God's word. That's why we do all of these things that change and renew our minds. And then we talk about walking in the spirit. They go, we don't do a whole lot, but we do study. And we know God's word and we can rightly divide the word. And can I tell you, if you can rightly divide God's word and you're not doing anything with it and I'm not doing anything with it, you're not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. People that worship God, in spirit and truth, know God's word. People that know truth and they walk in it, even when it's difficult, they know what truth looks like. And in the spirit, the power of the spirit, they are open and they're available and they let God use them however he chooses to use them. I mean, you know the concept, some of you have heard this in the Christian church over the years. 80% of the church um, or, or the church is run by 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. That's what I've heard since the time I was a little kid. You know, and that number, maybe it's changing a little bit here and there. But here's the point. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're trying to walk in truth this morning, how does your life reflect that? Well, I get up and do my devotions every day. Good. I pray. Good. I'm reading scripture and I'm learning to, de- to develop it and renew my mind because there is a lot of mess that we live in that we need to differentiate between truth and, and lies, right? Those are things that are good. How are you letting that be evident outside of you? You can know Jesus, but are you making him known to the world? Because the spirit 
is the part that activates the truth. You hear what I'm saying? The spirit is like the spark and the flame that ignites the gasoline. So when you're reading God's word and the truth is getting planted in you and planted, it's like pouring gallon after gallon after gallon of gasoline inside of me. Fuel, flammable fuel. But if there's no spirit in my life, if there's no spirit giving me the control, then it's not going to do anything. It's just going to stink. And honestly, a lot of times people that really know the word that don't do anything with it, they kind of stink, right? There's a whole country of people when they look at Christianity, oh, you Christians think you know so much. And I've heard people talk about that. Oh, Christians have all these things they want to share. But you know what? Are we doing the gospel? Are you doing the gospel? Because the one thing I love about the, the church in Acts, the New Testament church, they may not have been understood by everyone. And that's true. They may have been judged or mocked or misunderstood, but they could never have been, um, they could have never been labeled disingenuous. They were authentic and they believed what they were living and their life reflected what they believed. So if we're going to walk in the spirit of truth, we're going to know God. If we're going to walk in the, um, in the power of, of the spirit, we're going to make others known for God. Jack Hayford says this regarding the Holy Spirit. He says, Jesus gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, yet when the spirit comes, he is loaded with packages. I love this. He, is, he desires the Spirit much more in us and through us than we could ever imagine. These gifts are given for delivery, not for accumulation. We receive them to pass them on to others. The Spirit of truth, we know the God. We worship Him in, we worship him in truth, we know God. We worship Him in spirit, we serve God. That's how it works. God gives us these things to make a difference in the world. And we have disqualified ourselves. And I'm going to speak for me specifically. There are times that I have relegated this responsibility to other people. You could say, what does this look like? Well, do we believe that God only uses some people to proclaim life into others? Do you believe that God only uses some people to heal others? Do you believe that God could never use you to speak a word of truth, of discernment into someone else? Do you believe that God couldn't use you to pray over someone to see them delivered from something they've been wrestling with? No, those are things that pastors do. Those are things that elders do. Those are things that the person that's been seeking God for 350,000 years do that doesn't apply to me. Can I tell you, we've made the gospel too complicated. If the spirit of Christ lives in you, the truth of God combined with the power of God makes every single one of us equally qualified to take a step and be the church. Now, he doesn't use all of us the same way. You hear what I'm saying? He doesn't use us all the same way. But if our hands are open and our, and our feet are willing to walk, it doesn't matter where we are and what we're doing. God will let us be the hands and feet of Christ if we are available to be used. If we're not available, then he's not going to use us. A couple weeks ago, I had an opportunity to take a three-day trip out to um, the Grand Canyon. It was right before it was the end of my sabbatical. And uh, some of you know Pastor Nick um, Acevedo. Or uh, was he Acevedo? I always get that wrong. Acevedo? I've only known him for like 20 years, and I say his name wrong. Acevedo. And Pastor Nick has been working on a church revitalization out in Cleveland. And I've known Pastor Nick for many years, and he's really like a part of my family. He's like one of my kids. And I called him like a week and a half or two weeks before. I said, dude, you want to take a three-day trip out to Grand Canyon with me? And he was like, what? And I said, no, seriously, it'd be fun. We're just going to do it. We can run out and back. I've always wanted to see it. So he said, yeah, we'll do that. So um, I was going to meet him out there. So we were going to fly into Las Vegas, and we were going to drive out to the Grand Canyon. Okay, so just in case any of you are wondering, we weren't going to Las Vegas. We were driving through Las Vegas. Okay, <laughs> someone said something to me a couple weeks ago. They said, how was Las Vegas? And I said, we went to the Grand Canyon, and we went through Las Vegas. But, you know, I did win $500. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. It was $250. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. That's not the point. Anyway, I told them I was going to say, uh, I told him, I said, we'll meet in the airport and then we'll go to our hotel together, okay? And he's like, yeah, that's cool. Well, he didn't know that what I actually did was I booked a flight to Cleveland and I got to the airport there a couple hours before his flight left and I got the seat right next to him. So I went to Cleveland Airport and I have a recording of him sitting there as I was recording him and he thought I was some creepy guy and he was going to knock me out. And I was recording him and he was like, what are you doing here? Here's why I'm telling you this story. That day I made an intentional effort when I got up that morning before I left and I said, you know what, God, the gospel is really simple. Use me today. Use me. I don't want to overthink this. What does it mean to worship the Father in spirit and truth? I know that if I'm available, you're going to use me. 
I know that if I'm willing, you're going to use me. In spirit, I know you can do it. I'm available. In spirit, you have me this morning, this afternoon, whatever you want to do. So a couple of hours before the flight left, I got in later in the day, and I decided to have dinner. And I was sitting there in the restaurant in, one of, in the airport, and there was a server that was coming over, and she was you know, taking care of my, my dinner. And, and, and I started having just a brief conversation. I asked a couple questions. And it's like if you're looking for God, you can hear when he's telling you to talk about things. You can, and maybe you, some of you have had that experience, but when you're looking at things and you're saying, oh, wait a minute, you want me to do something here. You know, sometimes it can feel like a pinprick, and you're like, wait a minute, oh, 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 okay. And I'm not going to say, you know, the heavens opened and God spoke, and my text messages said, you know, Paul, please, it was nothing like that. I just said, wait a minute, if I'm looking for God, like every person around me, I shouldn't make an assumption whether they know God or they don't. Just have a conversation. So I started talking to this this. I call her a girl because she's probably 10 years younger than me. And she was talking to me a little bit, asked her a couple questions. And what I found out was that her boyfriend is um, in liver failure. And she said, we've been together for a couple years, and he's been on a wait list for a few years for a liver transplant, and we haven't been able to get one. And uh, she says, yeah. So I go to the hospital. He goes for treatments every, you know, however periodic. She goes, I go to every one of those appointments. And we're going again tomorrow to go to the Cleveland Clinic because they're going to do an assessment. And the assessment is to figure out how much more he has to live because they don't know how much longer he's going to live. And I sat there and listened to her talk a little bit. And I talked to her and I said, can I pray for you? And she looked at me and she said, sure. And I went, okay, I'm going to pray for you. And then she went, wait, you mean like right now? Mm -hmm. right now. She goes, do I need to be here? I said, yeah, that would be good. I said, I'm not going to make you do anything. I said, it'll be like 20 seconds, 30 seconds. I prayed for her. Hey, guess what? I never touched her. I never put my hand on her. I didn't anoint her with oil. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do some of these things. I'm saying the power of God is not dependent on those things. The power of God looks for those who are worshiping him in spirit to say, God, this is your baby. You're going to do what you're going to do. So I closed my eyes and I prayed for her. It was maybe 20 or 30 seconds. When we were done, she opened her eyes and she looked at me and she went, what was that? And I said, what was what? She goes, oh my gosh. She goes, that was amazing. She goes, I don't, what am I feeling right now? What is that? And I said, that's the presence of God showing you that he is with you. That's the presence of God showing you that you're not alone. He hears the prayer, and he's looking for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? And she's like, well, I grew up Catholic. She goes, but I've never heard of this or seen this before. And she's saying, I, what, what, what do I do? And I just, I don't even remember the rest of the conversation. She walked away at one point. She came back, and she told me that before she used to date someone who was Jewish, and she said, yeah, she goes, and this is so exciting. I'm so glad you prayed for me. She goes, I mean, she goes, Yom Kippur is coming up. And she's like, and I'm going to celebrate Yom Kippur. And this is where it got interesting. And this is why these two are connected. Um, I said, why do you celebrate Yom Kippur? And she said, oh, she goes, well, it's the annual Jewish holiday where they, they are atoning for their sins and God forgives them for their sins every year. Look at you. And I said, can I tell you something? And I was able to sit down and explain to her how Yom Kippur was a precursor to the Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world. And she looked at me as she stood there and she said, I have never heard this in my entire life. And I told her, I said, you can celebrate the high holiday if you want to, but know that Jesus is the Lamb of God who forever takes away your sins. And when you put your faith in Christ, you don't have to come to him every year It was once and done, and now your relationship can be restored, and you can walk with him every day. See what I'm talking about? Listen, listen. This is why. This is so, uh, because I'm walking away. I'm like, what does this have to do with all this? People talk about worshiping in spirit. Worship in spirit. Can I pray for you? What is the Holy Spirit asking? Yes, we need to be obedient to what God is teaching us to do in every area of our lives. But can I tell you, if you only go that far, you're missing the truth. If I didn't have the truth to explain what was happening and I'm just praying for someone, I give them an emotional experience with no substance behind it. Oh, what just happened? Oh, that's just God. I love you. Have a great day. No, we need to worship God in spirit bring the truth to people in the way we're obedient and let the power of God work through us. And whatever that looks like for you in your situation, 
And then we need to have the foundations of truth so that when God moves in people's lives, we can walk them along in the journey. You hear what I'm saying? So it's not just what we know with our heads or what we do with our our hands. It's both, always, 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 always. Worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. I'm going to have the worship team come up here in a minute. And, and I'm, I'm going to just stop here because um, can I just ask you during this time right now just to take a few minutes and, and just ask yourself, one, what, what are you believing this morning? Are you worshiping God in truth? Like, are you filling your time and your mind and your lives with what everyone around you is telling you matters right now? Or are you letting God fill you with his word? Do we know the character of God because we know his word? Are we letting God speak to us because the message that we see in this book should be the thing that transforms us more that's happening in the media? Are we letting this be the source of our life? Or are we letting the source of our life come from artificial places? When we worship God in truth, our minds get transformed. And when our minds get transformed, we're emptying ourselves of the things of of, of the world. We're allowing God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit begins to fill us, this is where we... I mean, can I say this without someone misinterpreting what I'm saying? You don't need to come to the altar this morning to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm just being honest with you. Can you? Yeah. Is he calling you to lay down pride? Is he calling you to lay down your appearance? Maybe for some of you, see, we have created a location as the place where God moves. And for some people, it matters to come because God's telling you, stop wondering what everybody thinks about you. Get up and go because I'm calling you. And it's not because he's saying, because when you go to that chair, that's where all the power is. He's saying, I see what's in your heart and what you need in this moment, what you need is to come and to sit and to go, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I want more of God right now and that doesn't matter. And that might be your thing. And the spirit of God fills you during that moment and equips you. And then the the relationship continues every day. Like Paul says in Ephesians 5, 8, be filled with the Holy Spirit ongoing every single day. You could be sitting in your chair this this morning with your eyes closed and your head bowed and you could say, I want to be equipped by you this morning, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. And maybe it's not an altar thing for you. Maybe it's a money thing for you. Maybe it's a fear thing for you. Maybe it's a just a surrender thing for you. You see, we have programmed Christianity, I believe, and I don't mean bridge, I mean We have made it so that there is a formula for things we need to do to receive greater empowerments. And, you know, this isn't a popular message for some people. And if it gets me in trouble by some of you, I'm sorry, I love you, but I'm just going to say it. Stop making the Holy Spirit a formula. Stop making him a formula. The only one that wins when we make the spirit a formula is the devil. He's the only one. I've known people all their lives who have been saved, who have been followers of Christ and grown in relationship, and they sit here in tears. I've known people over the years saying, I just don't have an empowerment. I don't have an empowerment. I don't have an empowerment. And I go, the Spirit of God regenerated you. He lives in you. Don't say you don't have an empowerment. The devil wants you to believe that you don't have the ability to use his power. Walk and see what he can do. Be obedient and see what he can do. As we walk, it builds momentum. As we walk, he strengthens us. Just take the step with an attitude of surrender. Don't worry what anybody else is doing and just recognize if you're here and you've decided to follow Christ and he's your Lord and Savior, the spirit that lives in you is just as power that's powerful as a spirit that lives in your friend or your relative or your spouse or anyone else that calls Jesus Lord. You hear what I'm saying? The difference is just surrender and availability. So I don't want to overprogram it. I don't want to make it something that it's not. I simply just want to encourage you to walk out in a spirit of unity and a spirit of trust to say, I want to worship you, God, with my mind, but I want to worship you with my body and my hands and my feet and be obedient to what you have for me. That's all I'm asking of you. Because the world needs a church 
that doesn't just tell them what they know. The world needs a church to tell them about Jesus and not with our mouths alone, with our lives, amen? That's what we need to be about doing with our lives, with our lives. Well, doesn't God give different gifts to different people of different times? Yes, he does. Don't get tripped up on whether you have something or you don't. What would it be like this morning if every single one of you who's a follower of Christ left this room today and said, God, my hands are open. I'm available this morning. I want the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I know your truth and your truth says you're always with me, that you live in me, that you will be my counselor. You will be my guide. You will be my help. You will be everything I need you to be. And I'm going to walk today. Not because of a moment that happened in church on Sunday, but because you walk with me every day. So this afternoon, when you pick up your lunch, God, what are you asking me to do? Or when you have a conversation with your friend or your neighbor, or God's asking you to let go of something that's harboring an offense in you, or there's a fear that you need to lay down, or a phone call that you need to make, or a prayer that needs to be prayed, or a financial struggle that he needs you to give to him, or a bank account that you need to get rid of, or a sin in your life that needs to be cleansed of. Like the list goes on and on, friends. You know what I'm talking about? There's no formula to it. It's surrender. And when God says, if you're willing to do whatever I want you to do, buckle up. Buckle up because there's a great ride ahead and it's an adventure that you're never gonna find anywhere else. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. I'm just gonna ask if you would bow your heads as we pray today. And just in the interest of time, I'm gonna pray. And if you would like to stay for a few moments after, you're welcome to as the worship team plays, but you'll be free to go after I'm done praying. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you're listening and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I just tell you again, as I wanna say every single week, you will look, you will search, you will desire for peace that you will never find because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you don't believe me, give it a shot. And what you find is peace and hope that comes by knowing the one who knew you before you were ever born. So Father, I come before you this evening, or this morning, I'm sorry, and we pray that you would hear each one of us, that our hearts would be open towards you, that you would be a God who cares enough to meet us where we need to be met. God, I pray that the truth of your word and our minds will be restored and renewed this morning. God, there are hurting people in this room right now. We've been beat up and we've been struggling over these last number of months and over a year in many ways. People have struggled with things for a long time. And God, we're wounded and we're hurting. May our minds be renewed with truth to know that you're always here. And God, in the midst of that, may we continue to experience healing by being available and that your spirit, that your spirit and meet and touch each one of us today. Let us be worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. In your name we pray, amen.